What does it mean to be born again? How do you become born again? Do you even want to be born again? For the past decade, this um, term or this phrase has had all of these negative things attached to it for me personally. When I think about born again, I think about that older lady who's yelling at me that I'm going to go to hell. And she's kind of enjoying it when she's saying it. It's no plea for (laughs) me to repent. It's more like, you know where you're going. I'll be laughing at home about it. Or that person that thinks that their church is the only church that knows Jesus and he, he only comes to their service on Sundays. Or that guy who plays the tambourines in between his knees during communion. That's what I think of when I think born again. It has all these negative things attached to it for me. And I, to be honest with you, I've tried to get away from that title just because there seems to be so many negative things attached to it. When they interviewed me for the Wakefield paper, the lady wrote in the first sentence, Joey, a born-again Christian. And she said, Joey, you can edit it. And I took born again out because I knew that so many people in the culture would see that and say, that dude's a Looney Tune. A Looney Tune church is being planted in Wakefield, Mass. But the truth is, born again is a great term. It's a biblical term. It's a, something that Jesus taught us about and that is very powerful. It's when a man goes from being spiritually dead in his trespasses, in his sin, in his guilt, in his shame, to be made spiritually alive in Christ. It is a moment for when a man going and is living in condemnation, everything that comes with condemnation. We don't realize how much people in this world who do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ are affected by their sin, affected by their guilt, by their shame, by their adultery. We don't understand why there's so many people who battle addictions and battle all these things and battle all the idolatry. A lot of it has to do with the sin that they're trying to forget about or being sinned against that they're trying to forget about. But the moment when a man is born again, something beautiful happens. He looks to the cross and he finds healing. He realizes that his sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And only a man can only grow because of the grace of God. And that happens when a man is born again. It's a beautiful thing that happens. A man is born from above. He's adopted into the family of God. And he sees God's redemptive purposes now. He realizes there's a meaning to life. He looks at the sky and he doesn't see just something happen by chance and by luck. But he sees an intelligent designer who put us here for a reason to make us worshipers of him and for his own redemptive reasons. Being born again is something amazing. And a lot of people haven't experienced that here. Some of us were raised in a Christian home. And so it was always normal for us to believe in Jesus, to worship Jesus, to come to church. We've already known Jesus. I want to say that to you. That's a great testimony. That's the testimony I want my kids to have. But in other cases, we realized how far off we were from God. In my case, I was 19 years old. I was raised in the church. My mother would bring the church from the time she was about, I think around, I was five or six. And she was born from above. She was saved. God had um, just awakened her heart to the truth about Jesus. So we started going to church. So I was around church, and I heard all the moral principles If you asked me, I would say, I believe in God. I believe in him. You know, it affected my decisions a little bit, but I would not define myself as a worshiper of Jesus. 
Then when I got in high school, many of you know the story, I drifted off more, more into my idolatry, more into going after the pleasures of this world. Um, I lived in condemnation of my sins, both that I had committed and people had committed against me. Um, But something happened different when I was 19 years old. It was no longer the religious box or the religious system or the religious machine that I was part of, but I went to a service, a youth group service when I was, um, it was on Halloween night. That's my spiritual birthday. That's a great, great spiritual birthday. It was on Halloween night, and um, we had altar calls on, in youth groups. So at the end of the service, they call people up if you wanted to accept Jesus into your heart. And so I went up, and I got on my knees. It was pretty radical for me. I never got on my knees in my life in front of people. I got on my knees, and God had been drawing me for the, the weeks before. First time in a while, I was getting convicted about my sin, and that was, that was weird for me. Like, I started saying, wow, my sinful decisions are messing up my life, and my sinful decisions are messing up other people's life, and my sinful decisions are rebellious against God. Like, some weird stuff started happening that I never saw before. And finally, they got me, this youth pastor got me into the service. He kept pressuring me, so I finally went to the service. And I went up there. Now, in my head, I had an idea what was going to happen because I had never been born of the Spirit of God. Nothing, that never happened to me. So I thought I was going to go up. I was going to make a decision. I was going to live right. People were going to think good of me. I would have a family. All the good things would happen. But what happened was drastically and radically different. I was born again. I had affections for God that I never know you could have. I was excited about God. I saw the kingdom of God. I worshiped Jesus. I woke up, I'm praying. All of a sudden, I saw grace woven through my life. I saw God's hand moving things and making things happen in my life. It was an amazing time for me, and I have never been the same. It's going to be 15 years when I'm 34. That is many of our stories in different capacities. But being born again is something radical. It's something that happens in your heart. Now the kingdom of God is within. So many times in our culture, we want to keep religion here. Religion happens from Sunday from 11 to 12, 15. And then we just live our life. When you're born again, Jesus is a part of every moment, every day, every breath. You'll be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. You're being comforted by the Holy Spirit. You're witnessing about Jesus. You're worshiping Jesus. You can see the kingdom of God in everyday life, in every conversation, in every person, in every act, in evidence of grace in your life. Something very different happened. So the hope is at Restoration Road that we revel in being born again by the Spirit of God, being born from above, and also that we witness of this beautiful gospel so that people might believe and have eternal life in Jesus as we witness about what God has done in our life. And today, Jesus is going to teach us that you must be born again. Please hear you must in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when you guys hear born again, I want you to hear something robust. I want you to hear something great, something exciting, something divine, something covered in grace. Because it is only by the grace of God that a man is born from above. So let's start. We're going to go to John 3. And we'll start with verse 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, 
is a Pharisee. He is a religious leader from the ruler council, from the Sanhedrin, and he's coming to Jesus. Now, you've got to see he was a prominent teacher. People would look up to him. He was well-respected, and he's coming to Jesus. Now, you've got to also understand that many people consider Jesus to be an unofficial rabbi, even though they call him rabbi. One reason he was uneducated, and even we see that, especially in New England, when someone's uneducated, they're like, is he officially a rabbi, a pastor, a teacher? I get a lot of that, and I understand. <laughs> I have no beef. I'd have a beef if, you know, I was coming to my church. But he comes to this uneducated guy that people looked down on. They kind of looked down on when people went to Jesus, especially when you're a religious leader, because he never sat under a rabbi. He was never mentored. We see that in John seven fifteen. that he was uneducated. So Nicodemus is coming by night. So there's a few reasons that he's coming by night. One is he doesn't want people seeing he's going to Jesus because his religious friends, the Pharisees, would have been a little like, why are you going to that dude? He's causing ruckus. He's tearing apart the temple. He's living outside the box. He's being defiant. Why are you going to him? If he went by night, not as many people would see him going to see the unofficial, uneducated pastor, teacher, rabbi. Also, during the day, there were great multitudes around Jesus. When Jesus walked around, he gathered a crowd. People wanted to be around him. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to see him do miracles and signs, and they wanted to come to him for healing. If you came to him by night, you could have a personal conversation with him if you found where he was. Imagine that, being able to have a personal conversation, ask some deep, truth-seeking questions to Jesus himself. So Nicodemus is going to Jesus to get him one-on-one. No one can judge him to really find out more about Jesus. He has seen him do signs. He wouldn't have been particularly bothered by the fact that Jesus tore apart the temple because that was really the domain of the Sadducees. And they always had a beef, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he he might have been a little happy that he messed up the Sadducee temple. But he had seen the, the signs that Jesus has done. He has heard the talk and the conversation. Is this man the Messiah? Who is he? We know these acts are from God. He's turning water into wine. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's thrown the temple apart and saying he's going to rebuild it in three days. He wants to find out who Jesus is and what he has to say. And he starts off by flattering Jesus. He says, you are a teacher. I know you're a teacher come from God. So he comes bearing flattery. Um... And he says to him, you are a teacher that come from God. But he fails to see Jesus for who he is. This conversation would have been drastically different if he came to him recognizing he was the Messiah. He didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the divine one. He's coming to him as a teacher who he sees this man is doing signs. And let's read verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is typical of Jesus. Nicodemus asks him one question, and Jesus answers a totally different question because he's always getting to the heart of the matter. And sometimes, a lot of times, we ask the wrong questions. And Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter, and he says, unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Basically, Nicodemus, enough with the flattery. I don't need you to pump my head up. I don't need you even to recognize who I am. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see 
the kingdom of God. Now, someone from Nicodemus' background and convictions had his idea of what the kingdom of God would be. It would happen at the end of time. It would be ruled and reigned from someone from the line of David, the Lord's servant. As we even um, go on to understand, it would be revealed to us that he would be the Lord himself. It would be an eternal kingdom that would never fade away. And it was understood, and in that kingdom, you would resurrect onto life. There would be eternal life. But as Nicodemus understood it, everyone who was Jewish, especially the religious leaders, would be part of this kingdom. Except for the ones who are um, guilty of apostasy or extraordinary wickedness. Only the really, really, really bad people would not be part of the kingdom of God. But for him to say you must be born again in Nicodemus, he was saying, Nicodemus, you don't have a VIP. Just because you're religious leaders does not mean you even see the kingdom of God and are part of the kingdom of God. Because unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. So when he talked about being born again, he was talking to be born from above. That's another way to understand it. It is an act of God when a man's heart is awakened to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of who Jesus is. It is an act of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Even though we have a part of the salvation process, the act of being born again is God's act, and we respond with saving faith after we've heard the effective calling of the gospel. So we hear the calling of the gospel. Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit opens our heart to see who Jesus is. We put saving faith in God. It's an act of God. It's an act of grace. So when he's saying this to Nicodemus, he's saying, no, it's not just who you think should get into the kingdom of heaven. It's getting into the kingdom of heaven. It's those who God pours his grace on and put their faith in Jesus. This would have confused him. This would have perplexed him. This was really... Um, Radical, revolutionary stuff that Jesus was doing. The defiant incarnation, man. He's totally out of the box of who we think the Messiah Messiah should be, how we should act, how we should talk, how we should teach, how the kingdom of God should be. And moving on to verse um, 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I picture Nicodemus saying this in a very condescending way. Not receiving Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus speaks truth and it's going to change my life, but what are you talking about? This is a response you even get in Boston sometimes. Imagine a born-again message in Boston that you must be born again. You must put your faith in Jesus even to be part of the kingdom of God. People start saying, what are you talking about? Because you don't hear this in everyday life. What you hear in everyday life is do whatever you want. Make whatever God you want. You decide what's truth. You decide what's right. You decide who's in and out. None of that happens with Jesus. None of that happens in reality. We make our reality that's foolishness. Jesus is reality. And he's preaching this reality right now. And Nicodemus ain't liking it. He's saying, what are you talking about being born again? And at the beginning of the statement, Jesus said in verse 3, truly, truly. And we know when Jesus says truly, truly, that it's serious. He says, truly, truly, 25 times in the Gospel of John. He says it three times just in these 15 verses. So we know what he says is profound, powerful. There's a promise that will come with it. His words are going to come to pass. And he's speaking this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is not liking what he hears. And going on in verse 5 and 6, Jesus answered, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is making the distinction between being born of the flesh. We're all born of the flesh. We all have a mama, and that's why we were born, and our daddy contributed. We were all born of the flesh. But not everyone is born of the Spirit of God. This is what I want you guys to hear right now. If you must be born again to get into the kingdom of heaven, that means that people are excluded from heaven who reject Jesus as the Christ. That means there's those who will continue to live in their trespasses, continue to live with their own gods. Some even say there is no God and live in condemnation, guilt, shame, idolatry, filth, lust. There are people who will reject and not be born again and just be born of the flesh. And there are those who are born again by the Spirit of God. So Jesus is saying being born of the flesh is not being the same as being born of the Spirit. And in verse 7 he says, Do not marvel that I say that to you. You must be born again. And we'll read on to verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So leave it to Jesus who's speaking, something, speaking of something that's very mysterious. I will not stand up here and say that salvation is not a mysterious thing. I will not stand up and say that God's not a mysterious thing. Let's be honest with each other. We're speaking of a God we cannot see, but that we know is real because we've been born by the Spirit of God. But Jesus says, do not marvel at this. And you'd think he'd bring in something that made it a little clearer, and it does to a point. But he uses some mysterious metaphor like the wind. Leave it to Jesus to go from, oh, you marvel at that? It's like the wind. Now, today we claim to know because, because we can explain something scientifically or think we can explain something scientifically, we think we totally understand it. So I went on Wikipedia and I read about how the wind is, uh, you know, how it happens and all this good stuff. I'm not even going to try to explain it to you because that sounds foolish up here. But even after I got out of there, I said, okay, good words, big words, good categories, nice mathematics. But I said, still, you're not telling me the origin of the one who created the wind and created the system and created the solar system and all those things that happened. So today we think we have a better grasp on the wind. But in ancient times when the wind blew, man, you're like, what's going on? Whoa, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know where it's going. This is mysterious. And it was like the wind was attached to all these kind of mysterious things. If the wind blew, something was going on. Someone, God was with me. You know, all that stuff. To this day, man, I get a good blow of the wind, and I think it's spiritual. But he uses this to explain the kingdom of God, to explain being born of the Spirit. That you don't know, people at least who are looking from the outside, they don't know where it's coming from. They don't know where it's going. It's very mysterious how people are born again and people are changed. I remember my buddies used to say to me after I was born again, he's been touched by an angel. They'd all make fun of me. Because I went from, are there any kids in here? Smoking eight pounds of weed a day. Well, like, that's like planting flowers. <laughs> Partying. I couldn't see a head over Mimi. Partying doing a lot of wrong things, basically being rebellious against God. So all of a sudden, I was born again, and I'm saying to them, guys, God touched my life. 
I can't do that anymore. I can't be around that anymore. I've got to stop hanging around some of you because this is leading me astray. I can't do this anymore. And all of them say, Joey's been touched by an angel. Because they couldn't understand where this change came from, and they couldn't understand where I was going, but they knew something happened. That's like someone who was born again. Even in yourself, sometimes you say, what happened to me? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I acting like this? Why am I in church with my hands lifted up? Why have I spent the last 15 years of my life testifying about Jesus? What happened to me? It's a very mysterious, powerful, wonderful, awesome thing, the kingdom of God. Let's move along. Verse 9, still in this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And Nicodemus responds once again, not with, okay, Jesus, you're right, but how can these things be, he says. And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So something that I want you guys to totally hear me saying and to totally learn and understand and see is the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And to understand that the whole Old Testament is not only getting us ready for Jesus, but it's getting us ready for men and women to be born again who will become part of God's redemptive people. That it was always in God's plan that we would be given new hearts and become temples of the Holy Spirit and know God and that the law would be written on our hearts not on tablets, that he would call a people to himself, and this is God's plan. And let's read. Got these written down here, so I'm going to read these verses from the Old Testament. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to reference it later, you can. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34, it said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the, day, in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in the inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, And every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. And let's go to Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you from out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall be my, keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I copy and pasted that from the King James, in case you didn't notice. It always has been the plan of God to give us new hearts, to put his spirit within us. So no longer we're saying, no, God. We're saying, I know God. His Holy Spirit lives inside of me. He saved me. He's taught me. He's been with me. That's always been the plan to make a new covenant with 
his people. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you should have known this. You're a teacher of Israel. This would have meant that Nicodemus was studying the Old Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures. He was studying about God. He should have seen this coming. He should have been ready for Jesus if he was reading the Old Testament. All these people should have seen and been ready for this type of Messiah who was making a new covenant inside of us, giving us new hearts with his spirit, a new people that would know him, that he would write the statutes on our heart and we would keep them and be obedient to them because of what the Lord has done within us. Nicodemus should have saw this coming, and he didn't. And this throws Jesus off again, saying, what's wrong with you? You should have seen this. You should know this. You're a teacher of Israel. You should have known this. You should have been ready for me. Moving on, verse 11 through 13, another truly, truly for you. I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is using that same language. When Nicodemus came to him, he said, we have heard you're a good teacher who does the signs of God. And he's saying the same way, we have testified. And you have not received our testimony. I'm speaking of these earthly things. I'm using earthly metaphors. And you're still not getting it, Nicodemus. See, the failure here is not in the intellect of Nicodemus. It's what he failed to see Jesus for who he was. When you don't see Jesus as the Messiah, the God-man, the Word become flesh, the Son of God, you're not going to receive everything he says as truth. And I love when people do this. So as Christians, it seems like a pretty automatic that if Jesus says something, if the Bible says something, that he was a Bible teacher and he taught from the Bible and every act was fulfilling the Bible, that we would follow everything in the Bible. But I love when people say, I don't believe that. Who cares what you believe? Just because you believe it doesn't make it right. When you believe what Jesus taught, it makes it right. This is what I need you guys to hear. Because our culture, especially our Boston culture, teaches us, you don't have to believe that. You believe what you feel. Listen, if you're believing what you feel, and it doesn't line up with Jesus, you're believing the wrong thing. You're teaching your children the wrong thing. You're acting the wrong way. You're wasting your life, and it's sinful. That's reality. We think what we believe is reality. What Jesus taught and who he is is reality. It didn't matter if Nicodemus didn't understand it or agree with it. Jesus was teaching it, and that's why he says no one has ascended to heaven except the one who has descended from heaven. He's saying the one who he is, the Son of Man, spoke about in Daniel, who has come to earth, the God-man, to teach truth. He is the one who defines truth. He is the one who teaches truth. That's why we can stand here today in all confidence and worship him as the one and only God. Isn't that good stuff? That you can live your life. You can put your faith in Jesus. You can understand what your beliefs should be because you, all you have to do is line up with Jesus and not make your own system. What comfort there is in that. What life there is in that. To follow what Jesus says. Because you're not learning from some good teacher or some spiritual guy who's been taking a lot of hikes in the woods. You're learning from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, the pre-existent one who is teaching us true. That's why we value the Bible so much. Imagine we lived our life according to what all of us thought. What a nightmare. Imagine I get up here and teach from the doctrine of Joey. Please don't come. (laughs) What a waste of life. 
I'm just a created being. I'm just someone, the only way I can learn is if it's revealed to me from God. You can trust it. This is reality. Jesus is reality. That gets me excited. Moving on to verse 14 and verse 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is talking about an Old Testament event. Once again, he's preaching from the Old Testament. He's a Bible teacher. And in Numbers 21, I'll just tell you guys a little of the story he's talking about here. The people of Israel had been delivered out of the land of Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years. What happened was they got delivered and they were on a long journey. They complained all the time. They were complainers. They habitually complained and said God wasn't doing enough. They didn't like the water. They didn't like the food. They didn't like Moses as a leader. They didn't even like God anymore. They spoke against Moses and God. So what God did was he sent venomous serpents. They call them fiery serpents. They were poisonous snakes among the people, and they were biting people and killing people. So all these people are dying from these snake bites because of their sin. God's bringing judgment on them. So they're going down left and right. They run up to Moses, those who are still alive, and say, Moses, you've got to pray for us that God stops this judgment upon us. Moses prays, and God says to Moses, make a bronze serpent and lift it up among the people. And whoever looks at that serpent, they'll be healed. Whoever looks at that serpent, they won't even be bit. He provides a way for salvation. You know the red cross? We see the symbols on the ambulance. That was Moses lifting up the serpent so that anyone who had bitten by the poison could look and they would be instantly healed as they looked at it. He's saying in the same way, Jesus was going to be lifted up for all the world to see, for all people to see. So whoever had sin, whoever had guilt, whoever had shame could look onto him and believe in him and be healed from their iniquities. You guys see the tie together? People that the poison of sin could look and be healed by Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That whoever, Jew or Gentile, any person can look and if they believe in Jesus, in his person, in his work, they will be healed. They will be made clean. They will live eternally. They will have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is what we're centered on. For those who have been born again, How awesome is it that we've been healed by the person and the work of Jesus? Every day, you don't have to wake up in condemnation. You can wake up totally clean, forgiven, knowing that you're a child of God, born of the Spirit of God. But to those of you who do not believe, it's not by works. Please hear me say that. It's by his grace. All you must do is look unto the cross of Jesus Christ and believe. That's the only thing. Justified by faith through grace. Secondly, I would love for our posture to be, I'm born again. Not, I'm born again, you're not too bad for you. You're going to hell. (laughs) It should be a pleading, a praying, intercession. Intercession needs to be part of our life. It needs to be part of our rhythms. Praying for those who don't believe in Jesus. Let me tell you, it's not going to be okay if they continue to reject Jesus. I need you guys to hear this so you have some fervor, some fire in you. 
Because too many times we, we preach this all-inclusive gospel, so there's no fire in us. We don't witness because we say, oh, everyone's going to heaven. They're just grabbing a different pile of elephant. They're not. They're not. There's only one God. There's only one way to heaven. That's be born again to put your faith in Jesus. That should drive your prayer. That should cause you to intercede. That should cause you to cry out for those of you, those you know, those you love who have rejected Jesus. Hear me today. What's powerful is your testimony. And that's why I shared a little bit of my testimony at the beginning. The words of your testimony are powerful. Use it as a weapon with the people you love, with the people you know. First of all, when you're sharing your testimony, say who Jesus is. This is who I believe Jesus is. You don't have to make up stuff. Just say what the Bible says. He was the God man. He was the second person of the Trinity who came to earth. He died for our sins. I'm free. He rose from the dead. He's coming back again. That's all you have to say about Jesus. You don't have to say more than Jesus said about himself. Then share how it has changed your life. That's powerful with people. People are going to seminars, watching TV shows because they want to change all over the world. There's only one person that can change them, and that's Jesus Christ. Share your testimony with people. And then offer that free gift of salvation. Offer that free gift. Not that you can give. Say the gospel's free. Because people say, man, I don't want to walk in the church. I'll get hit by a lightning bolt. That's what I hear all the time. Hit by a lightning bolt. We would get storms every week inside the place if that was the case. Or they say, man, I can't. I'm not ready. I haven't changed yet. No one is ever ready. Jesus changes us. Offer that free gift of the gospel. Give the effective calling of the gospel. And finally, I want you guys to have hope. Because there is a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom that's upon us and a kingdom that is within us. That is the eternal kingdom, ruled by the Son of Man, ruled by Jesus. You know, it's healthy. We don't like to talk about it a lot in our culture. To realize you're not going to live forever. Does everyone realize that? When you realize that, that makes your days sweeter. You hug your loved ones a little tighter. You worship Jesus a little harder. It's healthy for you guys to understand, to count your days. Count your days personally to realize that one day, no longer will it be by faith, you'll be seeing God face to face. And one day, Jesus is coming back. This earth isn't going to last forever. That's another thing that's healthy for you to realize that Jesus is coming back. That's an intricate part of the gospel. He's coming back to establish the kingdom that will last forever. And those who have been born again will partake in that kingdom. Live in perfect peace, perfect harmony, perfect worship with Jesus. I can't even fathom, and the scriptures say this, no eye has seen. We can't really fathom how it's going to be. But let me tell you, it's going to be far better than any, your best day in this life. Number one, because we're with Jesus. No more barriers as far as having to believe and not seeing him going to see him. We're going to be with him. You'll be worshiping with each other. Just, I, I can't even if I do it justice. But this kingdom is going to be unbelievable. Something that our Father has prepared for us. Something that we'll even see our lost loved ones who believed in Jesus. Isn't that something to look forward to? That's something that's awesome. I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel. That we're just passing away, man. Passing away, but we're going to live eternally with Jesus. This is reality. This is truth. Live your life believing in that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. It's always humbling to get to share your word and just be part of your people. As we continue to worship you, Lord, just move our hearts to sing with all we have and to take communion remembering you and just to honor your name. 
pray you just teach us how to witness of his glory and sorrow.